0: This evening I want to speak to you about grace for wanderers. Grace for wanderers. What do I mean by wanderers? Uh, Your mind is probably wandering off at this moment as I ask that question. Well, this illustration may help. So over the last month you may have seen a dog running around outside the church. I'm sure you have. One Thursday evening I saw Sister Verity and Sister Di go out there to look for it. So there's a dog which is running around the neighborhood and car drivers have been stopping as they're driving to look at this dog to see if they can find it and hopefully capture it and hand it over to the NSPC. And our neighbors with dogs actually have been complaining that the dog uh, seems to be attacking their dogs and they have been worried about this. Who owns this dog and what's going on with it? I think we think the dog is owned by someone in Highland Road there. But it keeps going astray, putting itself and other people at risk. And this is what I mean by wandering, isn't it? Going astray, drifting, backsliding. The people of God during the time of Judges were spiritual wanderers. Uh, we see time and time again, we've seen over the last 48 sermons in Judges, that God shows them Islam time and time again, and then Israel seems to be doing alright, and then they just start wandering away from God, drifting from God, drift, running away from their home, and they start clinging on to idols, doing their own thing. Well, this evening we are in Judges chapter 21. You remember this morning we looked at, in fact, the last three sermons we had looked at Judges 20, and we saw over the last three sermons how Israel has, had grown in devotion to the Lord. Uh, how Even last Sunday evening, our God had, 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 had molded them and, and they had come to that position of trust, such that this Sunday morning, we saw them go out in battle in faith and with righteous vengeance, I think, inflict damage on the people of Benjamin. They went out in victory, trusting in the Lord. And we the book should end there we think but judges can't end there because consistent with the book of judges we are now in judges 21. Uh, We see now in judges 21 we'll see in a moment them wandering from God again plunging themselves further into problem but we'll see as we go through this chapter that instead of God throwing the towel We'll see as we go towards the end of the book, actually God showing us again, even in this chapter, that he is the God of grace. He is the God who shows grace to wanderers, drifters, backsliders. And I think that's good news for all of us here. If we have come to that position of trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have surrendered our lives to him. We know that we are prone to wander from God, isn't it? And that is actually the first truth we observe in this passage. The first truth I want to share from this passage is that we are prone to wander from God. We are prone to wander from God. Judges 21 verse 1. Now, this morning, as I said, we saw the people of Israel win the war against Benjamin. Benjamin has been completely wiped out. They've been wiped off the map, except 600 men. A remnant was left that are now hiding at the rock of Rimon. Now, sometime after that war, perhaps four months or so, because we know these men are hiding, hide at Rimon for four months, so we think sometime, perhaps four months or so, the people of Israel start thinking to themselves, maybe the war was a mistake. We, complete, we have completely wiped out Benjamin. I, I mean, how are we going to explain this to our children? What will happen to the land, the inheritance that Benjamin occupied? Who will defend it now from Canaanites and others? Uh, we can imagine people blaming one another. And if it was happening now, commentators coming on TV, the blame game starts. How did we even get to this situation? And the pressure seems to be building... So much that it gets the leaders. And the leaders now call a meeting. Whenever you read in the Bible, the men of Israel is really referring to the leaders in Israel. And these leaders now come together to petition the high priest to speak to God on their behalf. And that's what's happening in verse 1 to 4. Let's read those verses. Now the men of Israel, these are leaders, had sworn at Mizpah. No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel, where the high priest was, and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, "O oh Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? That today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel. And the next day, In verse 4 it says, The people rose early and built their altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. They're there crying out to God. And I think here we should give Israel a benefit of a doubt. They're not blaming God for what's happened. I think this is a typical in the scriptures lament, isn't it? They're lamenting to God. Why has this happened? It's honest pain. They feel pain over what's happened in Israel. They have genuine concern for Benjamin. Israel wants to know, is this the end of the tribe of Benjamin? Is this the end of the road for them? But notice something here. There is no answer from God. God spoke three times in Judges 20. But here God is silent. He's completely silent. Now, this does not necessarily mean God is not going to answer them. Okay? Remember, they've only prayed for one day. They have not got an answer from God. But it doesn't that mean God, on the three or day four or the five, He may not speak. But you see, Israel is getting impatient. They should be waiting on God, but they are impatient now. So what happens is that they start fishing for ideas. Right? We have a big situation. We do something about it. And we can imagine someone say, well, why don't we give these 600 men of Benjamin that are hiding at the Rock of Rimon, why don't we give them some of our girls to marry? And then another person answers, sorry, we can't do that. We, We agreed, we made an oath. We will not give our young women to these people to marry so that they can perpetuate the tribe of Benjamin. And that's what this one is all about. Now the men of Israel at sworn at Mizpah, now one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. So that's the answer to that person who's raising that possibility. And then someone else now has a brainwave. There's always one who comes up with what seems to be the perfect answer. He says this, look, we can't... We, what we can do, friends, is that we can get wives for the 600 men of Benjamin from any place which did not help us fight the war. And that's what happens in verse 5 to 8. Let's look at that. And the people of Israel, that's what they said. Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up to the assembly to the Lord? The idea seems interesting. For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord and Nisba, saying, He shall surely be put to death. Verse 6. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin their brother. And said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do? They are asking again for wives, for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for our wives. And they said, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. The solution has now been found. Israel has found the answer. We have 600 men without wives from Benjamin. What we'll do is we'll go and attack Jabesh Gilead and get some young women from there for them as their wives. What we see here friends is that Israel now is wandering again. It has prayed for one day and given offerings the following day. But now it stopped waiting on God. It is now taking matters into its own hands. It is doing this because it is impatient. They are very impatient. And as I thought about this scripture, I thought, there is something of Israel in all people of God. Because all of us here are prone to drift from God and take matters into our own hands. We struggle to wait on God to move on our behalf. Israel could have just kept waiting. Or they could have just accepted that God actually... They could have kept praying. Or they could have just accepted that God has done it. Let's move on. But they want an answer and they found an answer. Because they're impatient. It's it's their own answer. And all of us struggle to wait on God just like Israel. We like to take matters into our hands. Well, When we are facing a difficult situation, what do we do? We start asking, does God not know? Does God not care about me? Lord, when are you going to act about this? I've been praying for a week. I don't see an answer. I've been praying for a year. Why is going on here? Maybe you're waiting for God to change the attitude of the boss at work towards you. You are praying hard and nothing is happening. maybe you're praying for God to save your children or your grandchildren. And they just seem to be getting worse and worse as time passes. And sadly, what happens is that when we have these places where we're praying and God doesn't seem to be moving, is that instead of waiting on God and being faithful in that situation, we do what Israel does here. We take matters into our own hands. So at work, what happens is that if we are praying for God to change the heart of the boss and it's not happening, what we may do is, well, the boss really, we might, we might become resentful towards the boss. That's taking matters in our own hands. We might start putting in less effort. Well, the boss doesn't appreciate me anyway, so why should I bother? Why should I waste my effort? We are finding our own solution quietly. Or maybe, if it's a calling, we don't get on very well, we've been praying for God to change them. Because God hasn't changed their heart. What happens is that we decide perhaps to become more resentful towards them. We, We may even find ourselves having deep hatred in our heart towards them. What we're doing there is we are wandering from God. We are taking the situation into our own hands rather than waiting on God. In our families the same thing may happen. Uh, We may find that out of desperation for our children to know the Lord, we become controlling. We've been praying for God to save our children, right? But we think it depends on us at the same time. Instead of waiting on the Lord to save our children or our grandchildren, we may now become controlling, impulsive, even bitter towards our children. And we may even fall out with our children. It happens in Christian families. Why? Because the person who is waiting on God has decided to take that relationship into their own hands. We can say the same thing for husbands and wives when we pray for them to change. Often we take those situations into our hands and it destroys those relationships. We'll say a bit more about that. The point is that we are not waiting on God and allowing God to lead us. And because we're not doing that, we are taking those things into our hands. We are wandering from God. So the first question I want you to ask yourself this evening, this is very practical this evening by the way. The first question you need to think about right now is this. Where in your life are you wandering from God? Because you are not waiting on Him. What situation are you facing right now? where you should be waiting on God but you're trying to take the situation into your own hand. Is it your marriage? Is it in your relationship with your children? You have such a perfect view of the sort of child you want to have and you, you, instead of depending on the Lord to shape the child, you're doing everything you can to, in your own strength. Is it work, perhaps? Is it how you relate to people in the fellowship? We should ask ourselves this question as a church as well. There there are things that we long for, desire for God to do in this church. I have to ask myself as a pastor that question. Where am I taking God's future of this church in my own hands, rather than depending on Him to act, rather than making shortcuts, just waiting on Him to act in the life of the church? Are you trying to take issues in your hand, or are you right now waiting on God? Are you straying from God, or is God leading you? Ask yourself that question. You need to ask yourself that question this evening because of our second observation. It's a serious issue because of the second point we learn this evening. The second point we learn from these passages, wandering from God leads to disaster. So the first point is, we are prone to wander from God. Why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because wandering from God leads to disaster. Let's go back to this passage. We see that Israel here has abandoned what I call the divine set now. God has been leading them. They don't want anything to do with that. They, they have decided, a bit like the UK now, they want to take back control from God and, and lead, do things their own way. They want brides for these 600 men and they believe they have found the solution by reading Jabesh Gilead, which did not support the world. Let's read from verse 8. To verse 11. And they said, verse 8, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord to Mismal? And behold, no one had come up to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. Verse 9. For when the people were mastered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword also the women and the little ones this is what you shall do every male and every woman that has lain with a male you shall devote to destruction now what they're sending these soldiers there now if you know a bit about the geography Jabesh-Gilead is on the other side of the Jordan you remember, Gilead is a land where a hundred years later from now, remember 17 to 21, chapter, these chapters are an appendix to Judges. This is up in early in the history of Judges. This is a land where Jephthah, hundreds of years later, will emerge as one of the judges of Israel. And so the leaders sent these 12 divisions, 12,000 soldiers of their top soldiers, to kill everyone there. Except to keep the young virgins alive. Now, I don't know how they go about distinguishing who's who and who does what, that kind of thing. The Bible doesn't tell us the technicalities, but they, they, that is the order. Kill everyone, everything, keep only the young virgins, and we want them as wives for these 600 men. And that's what they do. Let's read on verse 12 to 13. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead 400 young virgins, Who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, these 600 men, who were at the rock of Rimon, and proclaimed peace to them. So they've gone into Jabesh Gilead, murdered everyone, and kept these four, but they could only find 400 young virgins there. And they brought them to Shiloh to give them to these 600 men. We should make it clear here, first of all, that what Israel has done here is wrong at so many levels. I mean, we could be here the whole day just pointing out what they have done wrong. But three things really starting out of my mind. First, they are killing people in this town purely because they want to abduct these women. This is not about enforcing some oath they had made. This is about killing to abduct women. It is wrong also because they are killing people who have nothing to do with the war. Notice that the children of Jabez Gilead, I mean the children of Jabez Gilead the little ones, the author is pointing that out to remind us, look, this is wrong here. The children of Jabez Gilead have nothing to they couldn't have volunteered to fight Benjamin. They are babies. And finally, the third thing is that, notice the inconsistency here. Don't miss this. Israel seems to regret destroying the tribe of Benjamin, right? So why then go out and wipe out an area that did not take part in destroying Benjamin? You'd think they would oh, God, you guys didn't take part. I mean, but they're destroying them for the very thing they say is they are broken about, inconsistency. And what the scripture is reminding us is that this is what happens when we wander from God. We start behaving in a contradictory and tragic way. And the sad thing about this passage is that Israel's behavior gets worse. Let's read on verse 14. Notice verse 14 says, And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved the life of the women of Jabesh Gilead. But they were not enough for them. You know, as I read this, I thought, this would be funny if it was not so tragic. The folly of sinners. They have taken this issue into their hands, but they have found that they need 600 women. But they've only managed to get out of this terrible tragedy 400. So now, they are 200 short. Sinners' sin is some strange comical business. So what happens here is that Israel is back to square one. And they're crying about it again. Look at verse 15 to verse 18. And the people had compassion on Benjamin. Because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, they're asking again, What shall we do for the wives of those who are left? Since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin. Someone is still complaining about this. And they said there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. Yes, we know that. So look at where they go now verse 18. Yet, we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For the people of Israel at sworn, cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. We've heard all this before and the narrative of judges is reminding us that they are back to square one. They're still complaining. They need an answer. So again... Someone has another brainwave. I have an idea. Why don't we just abduct the Shiloh girls? The local girls in Shiloh. Shiloh is a religious center. Why don't we just abduct some from there? Look at verse 19. So they said, Behold, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the eastward of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. They want to go there now to abduct Sam and without hesitation the the, the elders feel they've got this 200 deficit remaining and without hesitation they send the men of Benjamin this time around they're just sending them to Shiloh, they're not involving any of their soldiers, saying look you guys go there, abduct these women and bring them and this is what they're and have them as your wives and this is what the people of Benjamin do let's read on verse 20 to 23 And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards, and watch if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Oh, grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did we give, Did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. They're simply saying, we, you know, give them to us because, look, we, we, we didn't win them out of war, but neither did you. So none of us are guilty here. Just let it go, right? Verse 23. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives. We should say, forcibly took their wives according to their number. From the dancers whom they carried off, Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. The actions of Israel here and Benjamin are grotesque. What a sad end to a tragic episode. If you've been with us in Judges, you remember this all started with the rape of a woman in Judges 19. And now in Judges 20 the terrible sin of rape of one woman has now led to forced marriage and I think forced sex for 600 women. The evil of Gibeah lives on. It is in fact grown. It is now institutionalized because the leaders are now involved in this terrible crime. This passage, friends, is warning us here That when people of God, Israel, or us, wander from God, God does not spare us from the disaster that flows from our actions. The sinful habits we take on always take a life of its own. At any of this point, God would have said, stop, but he didn't. He allows sin to play out. And God allows sin to play out so that we may see just how sinful we are and may cry out to him for his grace. We need to remember that our sins always grow and multiplies and destroys everything around us. What may start out as a small addiction to pornography may eventually lead to the destruction of your marriage. For men and women. And it may even lead to other addictions. You see, one may start off as a simple refuse to forgive a sister for the wrong she has done to you may become a huge tree of bitterness that grows with deep roots and begins to swallow all your relationship. Sin always starts small but in the end, that grows into, be, into a wild bushfire. So we are being practical this evening. Ask yourself the question, where in your life are you regularly setting yourself up for sin? Where are you regularly exposing yourself to things that are not helpful and they are leading you to wander from God in small ways? As I thought about this question, I thought about my own use of social media. I think social media for me makes me wander from God. Because in small ways, I find myself reading this post and reading that post, and, and then sometimes I get angry about what I'm reading, and it's, it's not leading me to Christ at all but far from that. I think about sometimes watching television. When I'm watching television at night, my attitude is more relaxed about what I watch. That's small wandering from God, isn't it? And before long, you find yourself watching things that you shouldn't be watching. So we must ask ourselves, what programs are we watching and tolerating them because we've found some justification for them? What books are we reading? Are they defying us? Or are they starting slow processes of taking us wandering from God? What friendships are we keeping? And are they moving us closer to Christ or away from Christ? All of these are small steps of wandering from God. How is our commitment into, to the life of the church, yeah. Are we compromised? Oh, I can just miss that meeting. It's no big deal. But in doing that, we are wandering away from God because we are not connecting ourselves to the with of people. We are slowly backsliding. Our heart is becoming cold and cold and cold. Small things. Israel started off very small. But you see, it's led it now into severe destruction. Where are you repeated looking sin in the face, and you still do it? It's worth asking yourself that. There are those small sins we think they're small. We know they're wrong, but we just do it anyway because we think it's quite small. It's just a little gossip. I can share a story here. You're looking sin in the face, but your heart is becoming cold towards repentance. Your heart is wandering there and there may be disaster ahead and you need to repent of these areas. So identify them this evening. Bring them before the Lord in prayer in your spare time. And you can do that with confidence. Why? Because of the final observation we read here. The grace of God praise the Lord. The grace of God is bigger than our wandering. The grace of God is bigger than our wandering. And that's the final truth we learned. So three truths there. First, we are prone to wander from God. Why is that a big deal? Because wandering from God always leads to disaster. But there is good news, and the good news is our final point. The good news is that the grace of God is bigger than your wandering from God. Amen. So we see here, let's go back to the the, the, the text. After the blunder of Israel here, we expect... Humanly speaking, God would just wash his hands from them. But he doesn't. Uh, Right towards the end here, we read what God does. We read something of his grace towards them. Look at this 23 again. Let's read that again. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. And then he says this, then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the town's And lived in them. Amazingly, after Benjamin's sinful behavior, God does not completely wipe them out. He is the one who preserved those 600 men. A remnant for Benjamin. If you like, what's happening here is that God has overruled the situation. In his wrath is remembered mercy. And he kept these 600 men. And notice something else we learned through the life of Samson. God has not just kept these 600 men. What God has done is He's worked through Israel's sinful action in Jabesh and Shiloh to give Benjamin a bright future. That in the end, they'll produce the first king for Israel. When we went through the, the, the study of Samson, we said what? God is bigger than our sin. God doesn't just work despite our sin. Sometimes he works through sin to accomplish his purposes for us. He works through our sinful lives to accomplish his grace. And here he works through sin, so to speak, through the sin of Israel. To preserve a remnant. Listen to this. A remnant not just for Benjamin, but a remnant for Israel. To keep the 12 tribes there. And through, don't forget, where will the first king of Israel come from? Gibeah. Because, you see, Saul will rise as the first king. This is the grace of God for wanderers. And notice something here. He's here. The wrath of God has also not been poured out on the rest of Israel either, despite their terrible blandness. Let's, look. Let's read on verse 24. They live on normally. This is important. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time. Every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there every man to his inheritance. So they've gone on just to live normally as Benjamin has gone on to live normally. And we're asking ourselves, how is this possible? It's not why Israel deserves. They deserve punishment. But if you're reading these verses carefully, Do you notice one word that appears twice in this narrative? What is the word? In verse verse 23 and verse 24. There's a word that appears twice. And the key word there is inheritance. Inheritance. Then they went and returned to their what? Inheritance in verse 23. Again we read, and they went in verse 24. last, Last sentence. And they went out from there. Every man to what? To his inheritance. The word inheritance is like one of those words in the Bible that immediately when you read it, it should unlock all parts of scripture so that everything fits together and you understand what is being said. Because inheritance reminds us here that Israel is in the land of Canaan. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. Joshua chapter 21 verse 43 to verse 45 says this. Let me read this for you. Joshua 21 verse 43 to verse 45. He says, "Thus the Lord God gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and they settled there." Verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood for them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word, listen to this, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Amen? Everything God had promised them came to pass. Israel got its inheritance. Each of the tribe had their own inheritance. And Judges, if we go back to Judges 21, is ending with a reminder that God has not abandoned them. Friends, don't miss that line. When he says in verse 24, and they went out from there every man to his inheritance, he's simply saying, despite all their sin, despite all their mess, they are still in the land, and God has not abandoned them. Judges is ending with a reminder that God's grace is bigger than our wayward ways. The God of Judges is a God who is persistent in pursuing his people. He never abandons those he loves. Listen to this. He never abandons those who truly belong to them to him, no matter how much they stray from him. And this is good news for all of us. Because you see, friends, this God of Israel is none other than what? The Lord Jesus Christ, who has paid the price for sinners such as us. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are a sinner by nature. And like Israel, you deserve to be abandoned by God. But God, in his rich mercy, has put on the rags of human flesh in Christ. God has walked up to the cross and He has died for your sin on the cross. All your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins paid for. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, God has cancelled all your offenses against you. God is not angry with you. And you will never be. That's the gospel. God is not holding your sins against you. No matter how much you wander from him, he doesn't hold them against you. Why? Because he has charged them to the account of his son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. You are forgiven forever. (laughs) Friends, this is God's grace for wanderers. And this means that no matter how much you stray from God, you sound a demonian at this point, but no matter how much you grow, you you grow you, you you stray from God, the truth of the matter is if you're genuinely converted, God will keep you. He never changes his mind about you at all. Are you trusting in Jesus this evening? Then be confident that God's grace in Jesus will never abandon you. Because it does not depend on you. We need to remember this truth, especially when we find ourselves wandering from God. And we find ourselves in a disastrous situation. We need to remember this when we see other followers of Jesus we love and care about... We see them wandering from God and we wonder, is this truly the end for them? As a pastor, I look at so many people in the life of the fellowship and I see, well, they're not really working for them. Is is the disaster ahead for them? Is that that going to be the end for them? But this passage saying, no, there is grace for wanderers. We can come to God and cry out to Him to refresh us and, and we can pray for other believers that they may be renewed in His grace if they truly belong to Him. I can't resist again to quote Richard Sibbes, the Puritan, when he says, God knows, listen friends, God knows we have nothing of ourselves. Therefore, in the covenant of grace, He requires no more than He gives but gives what he requires, and accept what he gives. So we can go to him; we can pray bold prayers to move in our situations, because God has lavished His amazing grace on you in Jesus. But one thing we shouldn't do is leave this place thinking that this passage is some license for sin. It's the opposite. Because listen again to what Richard Siebes says. Grace will never join with sin any more than fire with water. Therefore, those that plead and plot for liberties for the flesh show themselves strangers from the life of God. The, The grace of God for wanderers is for wanderers who are truly born of God. It's important we get that. There is no inconsistency between the sermon this morning and the sermon this evening. This grace is for those who have come to that point of genuine repentance. People who love Christ and yet stumble on the way as they follow Him. It is for those who have truly surrendered to God and received a new heart from God and desire to live for God. A true follower of Jesus cannot hear this and uh, uh, that God shows grace to wanderers and then proceed to hide their sin tight. That's not a converted person. If we are truly converted, we will feel grief for our sin as we said this morning. How can we not be grieved when we have a God who pursues us to the uttermost? How can we not grieve for our sin when we have come to a Christ who searches for us when we wander off? Who leaves the 99th ship and goes to look for the 100th ship? How can we not grieve when we sin against a God like that? We would, isn't it? If we know him. So if you're trusting in Jesus this evening, thank God that his grace abounds for spiritual wanderers like you. Tell him every day how much you love him. How much you thank Him for His amazing grace. And at the same time, do that check I was talking about. Ask the Lord to help you identify areas where you've been wandering from God. And let His mercy and grace abound for you there to help you repent. And trust Him in those areas. Amen.